0: I bid you all welcome to the Lord's house this morning for our adult Bible class, and welcome to those joining us online uh, this morning. Let us open this adult Bible class in prayer, please. O merciful and loving Heavenly Father, in the name of Thy Son, we have this access to approach Thy holy majesty. Thou glorious and eternal King, Thou triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We give Thee thanks for this access, Lord, to this fellowship that we have through the blood of Christ, that we may approach Thee, that we may know Thee. Forgive our sins, Lord, for we have sinned against Thee. Grant us hearts and minds that are desirous to be taught of Christ. And, Lord, will Thou pour out Thy Spirit upon us this morning, and give us teachable spirits. Humble us, O Lord, and help us. May thy name and thy word and thy doctrines be glorified, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Please open your copies of God's Word to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 43. Ezekiel chapter 43 so in the old testament Isaiah Jeremiah lamentations and then the prophet Ezekiel and chapter 43 and this is part of the uh, the great uh, prophecy that Ezekiel gives of a, of Christ of Christ as the perfect temple And in Ezekiel 43, verses 18 to 27, 18 to the end of the chapter, we'll read together, please. Ezekiel chapter 43, reading from verse 18. And he said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, These are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it, to offer burnt offerings thereon, and to sprinkle blood thereon. And thou shalt give to the priests, the Levites, that be of the seed of Zadok, which approach unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord God, a young bullock for a sin offering. And thou shalt take of the blood thereof and put it on the four horns of it, and on the four corners of the settle and upon the border round about, thus shalt thou cleanse and purge it. Thou shalt take the bullock also of the sin offering, And he shall burn it in the appointed place of the house without the sanctuary. And on the second day thou shalt offer a kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar as they did cleanse it with the bullock. When thou hast made an end of cleansing it, thou shalt offer a young bullock without blemish and a ram out of the flock without blemish. And thou shalt offer them before the Lord and the priests shall cast, shall cast salt upon them, and they shall offer them up for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Seven days shalt thou prepare every day a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bullock and a ram out of the flock without blemish. Seven days shall they purge the altar and purify it, and they shall consecrate themselves. And when these days are expired... It shall be that upon the eighth day, and so forward, the priest shall make your burnt offerings upon the altar and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, saith the Lord God. Amen. I think, where is that coming from? Where is that leading us to? What is the last verse especially? And we're considering uh, the eighth day. Uh, we'll look at that shortly. So we've spent some time in considering... Some of the basics concerning uh, the Sabbath, some of the scriptural basics, and also this truth that it remains abiding principle for every believer, of course, not just every believer, for every human being. It is is a binding uh, ordinance. And we also saw that the Lord's Day is the Sabbath day. It's the Lord's Day because He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And now we come to question 59, moving along. Uh, in the shorter catechism. Question 59. Which of you have your catechism with you? Question 59 says, Which day of the seven hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? And here's the answer. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since... To continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. The framers of the Catechism have absolutely no doubt as to, uh, as to the doctrine of the weekly Sabbath. They clearly can see from Scripture, they've examined the whole counsel of God, and they've given us uh, this answer the answer to the question, which is the title of this adult Bible class this morning which day of the week is the Sabbath? Which day of the week is the Sabbath? Good question. We know that in the world there are all sorts of ideas contrary to Scripture. Many ideas, we see that in Rome especially, uh, dragging things out of uh, matters and laws that are that are out of the Old Testament, rituals, setting up priesthoods and, and sacrifices and cleansing rituals that are all from the, the ritual law of Moses, which has all been completed in Christ, we saw you also in, in the case of the Seventh day Adventist, a lot of the Adventist movement, again, pulling things out of the tabernacle and temple period and, and trying to bring them into the New Testament Church of Christ, contrary to what Scripture says. So, which day of the week is the Sabbath? Well, in three points we'll see this morning as God is pleased to help us. Firstly, the Sabbath principle. And then, secondly, the Sabbath of creation. And thirdly, the Sabbath of Redemption, and so we look firstly then at the Sabbath principle, and, and the Sabbath principle. I suppose if we want to uh, make it simple and, and 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 just bring it down to the most important points, we could say it's twofold. The meaning of the word is rest, and the application of it is weekly. Yeah, the the, the meaning of the word Shabbat is rest, and the application of it is weekly. That is, there is to be a day of rest every. Week and that is the core principle that's found in the very wording of the fourth commandment. So I'll just read that uh, for you, taken from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day, the day of rest, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, etc. Now, in fact, I will read out because you no, know, we'll come to that shortly. So there we have that principle, the seventh. Day that is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any way. One day in seven is the Lord's Sabbath. And this understanding of the weekly nature of, of the Sabbath, this one day in seven, is, is carried over into the New Testament. The, the principle has, has not changed. Neither aspects of the principle have changed. That there is to be a day of rest and that it is one day in seven Now, the Greek of the New Testament uses the word Sabbath, or it uses a Greek form of the word Sabbath, obviously, the Sabbath being uh, the Hebrew Shabbat. But the the Greek language of the New Testament uses the word Sabbath in two ways. It it uses it not only to denote the day of rest of a Sabbath, a a day of rest from work, but it also uses that word to denote a week, And he uses it in the plural. So we'll say the first day of the Sabbaths, we would literally say, but they're using that in the word of week, Uh, a week of seven days. A unit of seven is what it's also used at. So a unit of seven that we would call a week, as well as a day of rest. So a singular day of rest, and in that plural, uh, the context helps us to understand, is he saying Sabbaths plural, or is he saying Sabbaths in the sense of a week? Well, we see it used in both ways. And very interesting enough that at the time and just after the time of the writing of the New Testament, there were a number of very famous Latin writers who, again, had some uh, familiarity with the concept of the Jewish week and the Jewish Sabbath. The old Romans did not have weeks. They didn't have weeks like we do at all. They had months, months that were 30 days, but they would have the 5th of the month, they would have the, the 11th of the month, and they were the important days in the month that they would work up to and work away from. And certain other months, it would be the 7th and it would be the 13th. Um, so what they call the Ides and the Knowns, you probably heard of the Ides of March uh, in Shakespeare's play of Julius Caesar. But so that's part of how they split up the month. But they didn't split it up into four uh, weeks. Uh, that is a, 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 a Jewish concept That is a, I'll say more than a Jewish concept, it's a biblical concept. But there were Jewish writers, sorry, there were Latin writers, Roman writers, like you may have heard of the poet Juvenal, you may have heard of the historian Tacitus, and they speak of the Jewish Sabbath being linked with the number seven. In fact, sometimes they just use their word septima, which means seventh. Um, when they're talking about the Jewish Sabbath, they didn't agree with the, the Jewish Sabbath. They thought one day in seven that they're just lazy these Jews, and so that's why they would be referring uh, to this seventh. So again, so they would use the word seventh. So th- even even in even in uh, what well we could say secular or profane authors of the New Testament day, they understood that the word Sabbath, the principle of the Sabbath, was a seventh, a one day. In seven, And the principle is then applied in two ways in the Scriptures, as I've already hinted at. We have the last day of seven, and we have the first day of seven. And the last day of seven brings us then to the Old Testament Sabbath, the Sabbath of creation, as I've called it. So, we've seen the Sabbath principle of rest, and one day in seven, and the Sabbath of creation. And that's what we have in the answer, uh, 59 Uh, of the Shorter Catechism, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And how did the Lord appoint it? Well, He appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath at the very beginning of the world, hence hence we have that expression, from the beginning of the world, that is, from the beginning of the completion of the world. Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So there's a conclusion to a work week. There's the entering in of a rest, and the Lord says that like three times in, in three different ways in those verses. So, the seventh day that commenced after the completion of the six-day work week, shall we say, of creation. And that included, of course, the creation of man, for whom the Sabbath was made. There was no need for a Sabbath beforehand because, firstly, creation was not complete, secondly, because man was not created. But then when man was created, when man and woman, mankind, were created, then, then there is that... Um, instituting or that appointing of a Sabbath day of rest. And when God appointed the Sabbath, He led by example. He went into that rest. He, He rested. He stopped that work of creation. And because God ceased from His work of creation on that seventh day, that he set that day apart. He sanctified it. He set it apart. It was no longer a work week of creation. It was now set apart, and and therefore it is a holy day because a holy God um, sets that up, but also because he sets it apart from the other six days. And what is that day set apart for? Well, it's it's set apart for the fellowship between the Creator and those creatures made in his image. All of them, everywhere, at all times, set apart for fellowship between God and man. And that's how, that's how John describes his keeping of it in Revelation. I know we're still looking at the Old Testament. But the New Testament, John says exactly the same, Revelation 1 and verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and, and, that's, and that's what the Sabbath is to be. It is to be in fellowship with God on His day, a day of fellowship. But notice that the, 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 before the fall, in that, in that time of innocence, it did not include sacrifice, the day of the Lord. But after the fall, it did. In fact, as I've suggested when we were looking through Genesis 3, that it is the following day. It is the Sabbath when the fall happens. And then indeed, the Lord does sacrifice animals to cover the sins and the sinful nakedness of Adam and Eve uh, on that day. It is also highly possible when we consider these things that the sacrifices that Cain and Abel brought were also upon the Sabbath day, the day set apart. For fellowship with God, and how else can we have fellowship with God as sinners except through blood? So it was appointed, uh, we see there at the very beginning, uh, but we see also later on that it's reaffirmed. And of course, we're touching on matters that we've already spoken of, but that's fine. That, that reaffirms it, reemphasizes what we've already understood. Now, the existence of the Sabbath and And that it is the Sabbath of creation is reaffirmed when the Lord gives His law to His people in Exodus 20 when He speaks from the mount, the mount that is is smoking and there is thunderings and lightnings, and then the Lord speaks. Uh, And we touched upon this already, that it was already understood in the patriarchal time uh, because the Lord says, "'Remember the Sabbath.'" Be mindful of the Sabbath that they were already keeping, and we saw that in Exodus 16, that the people were keeping it in the, in the, in the gathering up of the, of the manna, and they gathered twice as much on the sixth day of the week so that they would have sufficient for the seventh day because they would neither gather uh, nor do the cooking and the, and, and, and the, the seething and the, and the, and, and the baking uh, on the seventh day because that was a day holy unto the Lord. The question is, which, which day? than in the Old Testament, because that one day in seven is that moral principle that we see in Exodus 20. But the reasoning given for the application of this moral principle in the wording of the commandment itself is seen in the words, for in six days. So why do you keep the Sabbath? Why are you to keep the Sabbath? For, that is because, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, for which reason? That's the reason the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so the Old Testament people of God are referred back to creation. They're referred back to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 to understand not only the moral principle but how they were to apply it in their time. And so, hence, I've called it uh, the Sabbath of creation because that's the wording that we have in Exodus 20. So we've seen uh, the Sabbath uh, principle, the Sabbath of creation, uh, and we could continue examining that, but I think we've already looked at enough of the Old Testament Sabbath and how the Lord has set it up. But thirdly, I'd like us to look at the Sabbath of redemption, the Sabbath of redemption, which we could call uh, the New Testament Sabbath, the Sabbath of redemption. And then the wording of question 59 goes on to say, Having, having said, and maybe we'll just read all of the quote from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath, and the first day of the week ever since to continue unto the end, to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. So we've had the Jewish Sabbath, uh, and now we've got the Christian uh, Sabbath. And the, so the extent of that Sabbath of creation was up to and including the resurrection of Christ. From that time onwards, it became the Sabbath of redemption. In fact, we see that dividing line in the morning of Christ's resurrection. Matthew 28 and verse 1 shows us both. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, that is the Jewish Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And so the first day of the week we see repeatedly used by the apostles. We will look at that. We're not going to do an in-depth Bible study uh, on that. But here's one example on Acts 20 and verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So on the first day of the week, the disciples, the believers, come together and to break uh, bread, that would that would be very ha- probably the Lord's Supper, although the breaking of bread is a general um, Greek term for having a meal as well, but this is in the context of public worship. Now, the identification of the Christian Sabbath is, in, is actually foretold in, in a couple of ways in the Old Testament. It's been prophesied about. It's declared beforehand. And that's revealed in the name of the eighth day. Hence, we read from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 43. And then the very first, last word of that chapter that we read together. And when these days are expired, it shall be that upon the eighth day and so forward... The priest shall make your burnt offerings upon the altar and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, saith the Lord God. So heavily heavily couched in Old Testament language, and Old Testament temple uh, ritual, but saying that it shall be that upon the eighth day and so forward, it shall be that there will be that uh, that's the burnt offering upon the altar, not that man would make uh, new offerings, but again, Uh, We come before the Lord always on the basis of sacrifice, and that's what we do on the Lord's Day. And so the day is called the eighth day, which is the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week now, and it is the eighth in order from creation. So in the context of the Sabbath of creation, the Lord then speaks of another day, taking into account the first day of the week, the eighth day. And also in the repetition of the moral law in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So, we've had that we have the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but we have them repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But the reasoning for Sabbath observing observance is no longer given as uh, the resting of God from the work of creation. That's not given at all. Uh, but there is given a foretaste of the future Christian Sabbath-revealed in the work of redemption. And so I'd like to read, you may want to look up Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I will read tw- verses 12 to 15. And then we see, yes, it's the same commandment. It's one day and seven, it is a rest unto God, but it's when we get to the end of that commandment that we see that the reason given for the observance changes. And again, that's a, that's a foretaste, that's, that's a looking forward to the redemptive work of the Messiah. So, Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, for this reason, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. You see, that the emphasis changes from creation and to Redemption. Now, what is the very cause that would implement a change in the Sabbath? What, what, what could make this change? Well, it's the sovereign will and the pleasure of Him who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Hence, He calls Himself the Lord of the Sabbath, not just to, not just to still the mouths of the Pharisees and all their unbiblical and merciless Rules to make the Sabbath day a wearisome burden and a dryness and a deadness. It wasn't just to shut their mouths, which he did. But it was to declare this truth to us that He is the Lord of the He is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not that He would yet become the Lord of the Sabbath, or He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He is. He always has been the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, the Lord that we see in the Old Testament, having completed the work of creation, because all things were created by Him and through Him, and He He rested on the seventh day. And now we see that the the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. We see in Mark 2 and verse 28, for this reason the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He determines what the Sabbath is. He determines how the Sabbath is to be kept. Why? Because he is Lord over that Sabbath, the Lord over the day when God would come together with his people. He's the Lord over that day when he rose victorious. Well, that's what we're going to look at next then. So first, He is that cause that implemented the change. But what is the cause, should we say, that moved that change? Well, it is his resurrection, being the Lord of the Sabbath, being the Lord of the Sabbath. He dies on the Friday. He is in the grave on the Jewish Sabbath, and he rises again on the Christian Sabbath, as it says in Mark 16 and verse 9 that He rose early on the first day of the week. It it is in His resurrection uh, that we see a change. And as we'd already noticed uh, in in the verses regarding Mary Magdalene, how we had the Jewish Sabbath going over into the Christian Sabbath. But why was this day of Christ's resurrection appointed to be the Sabbath? Why was it this day? Well, because His resurrection has proved without a doubt that the work of redemption was finished, and it was finished when he rose from the dead, when he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered sin, he conquered uh, all the enemies of the people of God, he conquered, and he rose victorious on that day. And as Romans 1 and verse 4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And therefore, it became his resting day. It became his resting day as, as Messiah, as Redeemer. We've seen his resting day for as Creator, but now we see his resting day, his day of rest, as Redeemer. And that's what Hebrews 4 and verse 10 says. we looking at 4 and verse 9. Verse 10 says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his And that's looking at both Sabbaths. God rested from His works of creation. God rested from His works of redemption. And that's why I've called it the Sabbath of redemption, that we have that clear distinction. Um, That's what Deuteronomy 5 says in the fourth commandment, uh, that it is a a Sabbath of redemption as opposed to the Sabbath of creation. And that is why every Lord's Day celebrates every aspect of, of the lord 's life, because it is the lord's well we could say and we should say that his incarnation and his ministry and his sufferings all led up to his death from which he, resu- he was resurrected he was resurrected from all that 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 perfect that perfect Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins, but the the acceptance of that sacrifice and the entering to his rest from the works of redemption are seen upon the Lord's day, the day of his resurrection. And that's something that the Protestant reformers understood well enough to be able to drop all these Romish, unbiblical feast days that had been ha- added. They weren't there at the beginning, they were not in the apostolic times, Jesus did not command them, but as they get added, and uh, as I was talking to somebody last week, that's what you see as the Roman Catholic Church gets, uh, gets bigger and more important, as the gospel gets squeezed out, as the simple, simple grace of Christ and you repenting and believing and following Him, as that gets pushed to the sidelines, well, you've got this empty hole. And what are you going to fill it in? You're going to fill it in with rite and ritual and robes and smells and bells and all these other matters just to fill up the emptiness. And that's what they started to do. And so they go back into the Old Testament and they start, because they bypass the gospel of the New Testament, go into the Old Testament. They need religion. They need these rites and robes and bells and smells. They need all these matters to fill up the church, to fill up the the year, to fill up the week, to fill up the, the, the church service because they do not have the gospel anymore. And that's why they have the drama, that's why they have the decorations and the gold and everything that's to, to do with, with their uh, services, their unbiblical services, and especially regarding their blasphemous mass. And so they add in all these things like Advent and, and, and Christmas and adoration of the Magi and, and, and Lent and a whole period there and, and Easter and Pentecost and, and another 50 I haven't mentioned. Whereas the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, is the actual day of Christ's resurrection. All these other things, they're all guessed and they're they're trying to figure it out, but it's the Lord Himself who rose on His own day of, of completion, of exaltation, of glory. And we see also Christ's own example. On keeping, the first day of the week as the weekly Sabbath. So He rose on that day and He met with his, his disciples. We know that on those 40 days that He was still on earth, be- between His resurrection and His ascension into heaven, that He appears to His um, disciples on the first day of the week. And after His ascension, what happens when He goes up into heaven? Those days later, those ten days later, he pours out his Spirit from heaven on what? The first day of the week. So he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. He met with his disciples on the first day of the week. And in the fulfillment of Old Testament Pentecost, which is the pouring out of his Spirit, was on the first day of the week. And so the example and the practice of the apostles carrying on from that, again, and and the early Christians, as recorded in the New Testament, shows that the first day of the week was honored above any other for the public exercises of God's worship. So, we've seen also then the the apostolic precept, because we've we've touched upon that, Acts 20, when it spoke of Paul and and the disciples, all the believers that would mean, uh, coming together, having the Lord's Supper, and listening to the preaching of the Word. That was on the first day of the week, and he kept that until midnight, and he left the following day. He left the following day because he did not travel on the Lord's Day, because the Lord's Day was a day of rest. And what we find is when the apo- apostles in their own actions, in, the, in their own way of doing things, in their own way of teaching, all the way up to the last word of the last apostle, as it were, on the subject, that they speak of this being the Lord's day. It's only, we only get the phrase uh, expressed in that way from John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, but it is the Lord's day. The whole time, from Genesis, chapter two, verses two and three, all the way up to Revelation one and verse 10, it is the lord's day, one looking back to creation, one looking forward to redemption. And all of those matters that I've just touched upon now uh, prove that the Christian Sabbath is of divine institution. Now people say, "Well, give me a command. Give me a single command. Well, where where does the Lord have to give you a commandment like that? He's given you the commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5 speaks of one day in 7 that revolves around redemption. And then we see redemption worked out, and we see that the Lord proves it by His own resurrection. We see the apostles keeping it. We we see the church holding to it. And that's how the Lord has been pleased to reveal it. And who are we to say otherwise? Turn around, I'm not going to keep it if I don't get a, a clear command... When Christ displays it, the apostles keep it and the church maintain it. And so this, this changed Lord's Day is therefore to continue to the end of the world. Well, how do we know? How do we get that full extent of the Christian Sabbath? Then how do we understand that? Well, because divine revelation has complete, been completed. Divine revelation, di- divine direction was completed with the book of Revelation. So we see, we see John in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and that is almost, as it were, the last word On on the keeping of the Sabbath. Well, not quite, because we see the people entering into their rest. We see the martyrs in their rest, and we see finally that there would be that rest for the people of God, that they are delivered. We see the the coming down of the Bride of Christ as Jerusalem onto the earth. We see that's the fulfillment entering into what we can call the eternal Sabbath. So the Sabbath is never going to go away. It's going to become an eternal Sabbath. But now with the the completion of Scripture of God's revelation to us, what He has set forth in the New Testament on the cross and victory over the grave and what He set forth by example, always God works by example in this way um, in fellowship with His people. He is then set forth in His apostles for us to keep with. So the completion of the New Testament canon of Scripture tells us that it is to continue to the end of the world until we enter into our eternal Sabbath. So it's not to be changed. It's not to be changed in the 1960s uh, when the dreadful effects of the Second World War have really kicked into a following generation. Then it's not to be removed because we've had new insights, because uh, we have our new insights in these 66 books. It's not to be changed because it's inconvenient because that would be pragmatism which is unbelief we walk by faith and not by sight and therefore we continue with the teaching of the apostles as the lord himself said that the foundation of the church is the teaching of the prophets that's the old testament and of the apostles and none of them could be accused of sabbath breaking let us not be doing let us not be accused of that either so question 59 then and we're finishing earlier than i had thought Which day of the seven hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? And the answer is, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath, and the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. Are there any questions at all? Yes, you on the spot a little bit, and since we've, in the past, talked a little bit, or a lot of, about dispensationalism, and you just mentioned to the end of the world, uh, could you talk about, or, or respond, about the coming of Christ and dispensationalism in terms of uh, the rapture? Oh. he on that, would be fair to put you on the spot to comment a little bit on that? Right. Um, well, for the last two weeks, we were looking, we were contradicting dispensationalism on their on their misunderstanding of what the Lord's Day is and the Christian Sabbath. Well, I mean, of course, th- there's almost as many dispensational views, points of view, as there are dispensationalists. Um, so it's very hard to put down And wh- what do they believe. It's like saying, what does a, what does a historic premillennial um, a Christian believe? Well, again, there are differences there. And that even touches upon Ezekiel. And in, in that matter, what are my views on that? My views are, are, are still in, in progress in, in trying to understand. I don't want to jump in and just uh, lay hold on on someone else's idea if I don't see that. I haven't studied it through myself, so I'm very cautious on that. Um, So as regards to the end of the world, well, there is a rapture. The Lord speaks of it, that there will be a taking up of His people. Uh, But what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, as we move on to verse 5, if we don't just make a dispensation between chapter 4 and chapter 5, a split, which is unbiblical, which is what I would call that dispensation, and we see that it immediately flows on to the damnation of the reprobate. So there is a day of judgment that he speaks of. There is a rapture. There's no secret rapture. There's a very public rapture, a very noisy rapture. That's what the Bible speaks of, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ coming for His people to take them to Himself. And as I, as I see it and understand it from other parts of Scripture, as He takes them up to Himself, then He, he pours out fire upon the whole world. That is the, the global fire, the global cleansing of the world, and that would necessarily include those who are left behind. Um, so there is no... Yes, so... Uh, w- no, Hal Lindsay and the Left Behind series is all uh, uh, fiction. Uh, and it's not more than just fiction, though. It, it, it's error. And uh, maybe more than error, it, it's heresy. Uh, because God has given a time to his people and to the church to fulfill the Great Commission. It's the church that fulfills the Great Commission. So that would contradict immediately that the New Testament church is taken away, and then there's a reestablishment of a Jewish kingdom. I know that's very popular in North America, but you're just repeating what a what a, what a bad exegete on the radio has said, yeah, or or, or 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 whatever. That's not that's not the. If you understand and you read. Um, Uh, The the Scriptures, and you don't read into the Scriptures, but you read the Scriptures. Uh, When the Lord is finished with the Gospels, there is nothing of a millennial kingdom in the way that they're saying. There's no Jewish millennial kingdom on earth. Much as you might want it, as much as your favorite preacher has talked about it, you will get none of that. You have to go all the way to Revelation 20 and verses 1 to 6 and then give that a twist and an interpretation and make that your magnifying glass and your lens for the whole of Scripture uh, to to then change your interpretation of Scripture. So, Scripture would not actually interpret Scripture. Your opinion on six verses in Revelation 20 would then become interpretation of Scripture. And, uh, and And that is bad exegesis. That's bad interpretation. So, although I couldn't turn around and say, well, this view and, and, and that view, um, I, I cannot, certainly not the dispensational view, um, it does not make any sense at all that we would have then a Jewish kingdom. Uh, it, it's said very clearly because of the res- resurrection and the ascension of Christ that He will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, and that's exactly the plain teaching of 1 th- uh, Thessalonians. Well, let me just, before I trip over my own words... Let me get the... And maybe I'll just finish with this because we have some time. First Thessalonians chapter 4, going into chapter 5. So this is what he says, and um, maybe we'll just read this. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that shall not go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for you yourselves, for yourselves, know perfectly that the day of the Lord, which is just described, so cometh as a thief in the night. for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. but ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief, ye are the children of light. And the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober." And so we could continue. So he, he speaks of the elect who are already in heaven that Christ will bring with him, and then those who are already still on earth will be taken up, and, and, and the church of, 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 of Christ will be complete and will be triumphant. Uh, and then we have the fact that he will come as a thief in the night, and he will, he will destroy, he will judge um, those who are outside of Christ. So he will come to gather his elect, and he will deal with the reprobate uh, in that day. This is speaking of, of one day. Um, and so the Lord will come in glory. He will not humiliate himself and, and rule over a, an earthly world of unbelieving Jews who might get saved at some point. There are many different ways of understanding this millennial kingdom, that the the Jews would reign or the Christians would reign over the Jews, and that you would then have a temple, a new temple with new sacrifices, as if Christ's sacrifice, which is repeatedly said in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11, that it was a once-for-all-time sacrifice for all the sins of all His people. You see, it makes a mess of redemption. It makes a mess of the gospel to suddenly start adding these extra bits and, and to give a slight meaning to this. And the simplicity of the gospel that Paul wrote about becomes very complicated. Man becomes so clever and the gospel is destroyed. It's not of man's wisdom. It's to the glory of the wisdom of Christ. Maybe that's not a full answer, but it, it's <laughs> some certain points have been made which hopefully will help. Um, as I said, it's not... I'm thinking about it, as you can tell. It's not fully thought out. Um, That's only because there are so many doctrines uh, to work through. But dispensationalism, in many ways, as I said, it destroys the gospel because it says there is, yes, a time coming when animals must be sacrificed for sin. But that's Old Testament. You're taking Ezekiel out of context. What is Ezekiel talking about? He's talking, uh, as Matthew Henry would say, it's it's a vision of the perfection of Christ as sacrifice, as temple, as, as the God-man. He, he, he is the, the physical temple, the tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us, uh, but He is the offering. He is the way to God. He is the ark. He's everything that's in there. And that's what I think what Ezekiel is talking about, as opposed to saying that there will be another temple yet to be built, as some seem to long after. Well, thank you. I managed to fill out the time as well. Mm-hmm. so um but that wasn't the reason. Uh, let us, uh, if there are any more questions at all? And, uh, see, I'm not looking in that direction. <laughs> Sorry, you go, Daryl. Well, let's close in a word of prayer then. Our God and our Father, we thank thee that we may rest. In Christ, that we may rest in His perfect and perfected work, that we may rest in His arms, that we may rest at His feet, that we may know this as a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath. O Lord, that we may indeed, as He says, come unto me, all ye that uh, labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. We thank Thee, Lord for the rest that we have in Christ, for this time to spend this one day and seven with Him and His people. But yet, O God, there will be. He will come and gather us to Himself. We will be taken up and resurrected, uh, Lord, or changed to be with Him forever. And we shall see Him in His glory, and we shall rest and rejoice in Him forever and ever. Lord, let us be comforted with these words. We pray thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.